Whenever you are ready. Okay, perfect. Here we go. Today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I have a ask to make of our podcast listeners, if that's okay with you. Of course, go right ahead. Okay, so today I had a consultation for LASIK eye surgery, and uh, that was quite the experience in itself. They dilate your eyes, I think more extreme than what you would usually get at a normal eye checkup appointment. So, you know, I can't drive. I couldn't see for a few hours. I mean, I could, but the light was really bothering it, et cetera. But I'm just curious if any of our listeners have ever had LASIK. And if they have, I would love to know your experience. I know it's a really small percentage or a chance that you would go blind or have an infection or any of those things. But like, it's a little freaky to me that they basically, you know, tape or open, open your eyes for that 15 minutes during the surgery using a laser you don't go under you know you get some eye numbing drops and stuff but I'm a little I think I'm gonna freak myself out a little bit more than I probably should with this surgery coming up but I scheduled it I'm intending to go full steam ahead with it but I would really love if anybody has had any experience with that to share some insight with me just so I can put my mind at ease you know Delaney I have been thinking about getting LASIK myself I have such bad vision. And it's because when I was younger, I wanted glasses so badly that in the second grade, I purposely failed my eye exam. And now I have just ruined my eyes. So I also am wanting to get LASIK. So I'm glad that you asked that question. Yeah. So we'll see if I, if, and when I get it, I will share my experience with you, Ashton. But in the meantime, I would much appreciate anyone that has had it and could share their experience with me. Well, we will see how that goes and hopefully everything goes well with your surgery, Delaney, but I want to go ahead and start talking about some news today. And it looks like the FDA and its counterparts in Mexico are taking steps to strengthen collaboration on food safety from outbreak investigations to training and outbreak prevention measures. The FDA had a ceremony to commemorate the signing of a statement of intent to enhance the food safety partnership between the U.S. and Mexico. The statement strengthens the scope of an existing produce safety partnership the country signed in 2014. With the Food Safety Partnership, the produce agreement extends to all foods regulated by the FDA, and the Food Safety Partnership's goal is to strengthen collaboration on outbreak response, laboratory collaboration, prevention, and outreach and training. So I'm not sure if there was a specific incident that triggered this statement of intent to enhance the partnership that was already instated, but I will do a little bit of digging and and see if I can't report on that tomorrow. That sounds good, Ashton. And speaking of doing a little digging and reporting, I've done a little digging this morning myself when it comes to African swine fever. It appears that the pork industry is ramping up efforts to try and keep African swine fever at bay. This is this effort is being led by the National Pork Board, largely trying to target the global industry and watch all of the different places that are having African swine fever outbreaks and issues. And so we've seen now the pork industry is getting ready to release a volunteer, what they're calling, quote, contract training, or excuse me, contract tracing program for hogs 
that would allow, especially folks here in the United States, to be able to hopefully stave off an export and supply crisis and have the disease show up here in the United States. So they said beginning in early November, they're going to roll out a new software program called AgView, which is being created through checkoff dollars that will allow pork producers, USDA and state vets, as well as other folks involved in the swine industry to track hog movements from farms to processing plants and essentially operate like contract tracing for pigs. So they didn't go into a whole lot of detail other than that. It might be good, Ashton, to have them on to chat about this for an upcoming episode on the podcast. But basically, to sign up and find out more information, you go you can go to agview.com and they've got quite a bit more information there. It looks like as far as how to sign up, uh, you know, what, what this really means, how to use it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's almost kind of like they're using blockchain or, you know, a tracing system to be able to just better manage where hogs have been and where they're going. So we'll continue to watch that. Like I said, it might be a good one to have on for a future episode on the podcast. And that program again begins in early November. You know, Delaney, I have just a little bit to add to that. It kind of incorporates, I I suppose, but the CEO of the National Pork Board says feral hogs in the U.S. are a threat to commercial hog operations, which, you know, I, being down here in Texas, we have tons of feral hogs. I don't know about you guys up there in Iowa or, or other states, but I know in the South, they're pretty prevalent, but it sounds like they are trying to kind of crack down on wild boars um sorry i lost my my train of thought but it, it sounds like they are trying to crack down on wild boars and them being a threat to commercial hog operations just because of what's been going on of course with african swine fever in china and then now in germany with nearly 50 wild boars being confirmed Um, African swine fever cases, but just a little bit of information to kind of add to that about contact tracing. Yeah, I can't say I've ever seen a wild boar other than like movies or pictures. So to my knowledge, there's not a ton of those running around, if any, here in Iowa, but I know like Arkansas, Texas, some of those more Southern states, I think have a lot more issue with that than we do up here. We certainly do. And my dad and I, we go deer hunting. We actually have a lease down here. And I tell you what, every time we are in the blind or on the lease, we see tons of them and they are just rough around the edges. Not, not good to, to farmland or to, of course, livestock operations. But, but other than that, I have some news about grants being available for COVID-19 relief. And these two new grants are available for Illinois livestock producers impacted by the pandemic. Livestock producers can apply for the Agriculture Business Interruption Program or Swine Depopulation Program by October 31st to receive up to $10,000. 
The grants are part of the state's business interruption grants program, which leverages federal CARES Act funds to help small businesses offset losses in connection to the COVID-19 pandemic. For the agriculture business interruption program, applicants must be a livestock producer that experienced monetary losses and incurred expenses from the disruption of the livestock market caused by the pandemic between April 15th and May 15th of 2020. Expenses associated with holding livestock and livestock-related products for an extended period of time are eligible. And pork producers that experienced financial loss as a result of COVID-19 related to depopulation or disposal on or after April 15th can apply for the swine depopulation program. And producers who have applied for or received CFAP 1 or CFAP 2 funding are still eligible to apply for both grants. So I would definitely keep an eye out on that. And you can apply on the Illinois Department of Agriculture website. All right. Well, another, uh, I guess this isn't, your, your news wasn't trade related, but I've got a piece of trade related news here. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is traveling to Japan for a three-day visit. Now, this is an important trip for a couple of reasons. One, we just saw, not just saw, but recently saw the prime minister over in Japan replaced. Uh, Shinzo Abe used to be the by, or used to be the prime minister, excuse me, in Japan and was now replaced with. I don't know how to pronounce this name. To be quite honest with you, I think it's Yoshi Yoshi. Mm, nope, not going to try it. Anyways, they got a new prime minister in Japan who isn't quite as keen on the United States as Shinzo Abe was. So it's important for that reason. And it's also important because Mike Pompeo is hoping he can uh, groom or, you know, rub elbows, we'll say, with this new prime minister in Japan, hoping to extend that phase one deal that went into, a went into effect on January 1st into a phase two trade deal that could include benefits for U.S. rice, access to increased dairy exports, and other agricultural products. So we're really going to have to watch that one closely here and see if indeed the relationship between this new prime minister and the United States is one that will continue uh, to benefit the United States. But it's rumored that this new prime minister isn't quite as pro-U.S. as uh, Shinzo Abe was, so. Well, Delaney, I'm all out of news for the day. It was a little bit of a slower news day on my end. What about you? I have uh, just, you know, kind of two quick pieces of news which lead us nicely into the markets, the first of which was the USDA's weekly crop progress report. We saw soybeans have a massive increase in harvested acres. As of Sunday, October 4th, NAS has estimated that 38% of soybeans across the United States were harvested. That's an 18 percentage point jump from the previous Sunday. And well ahead of our five-year time, or five-year pace at this time, which is generally about 28% of the crop harvested. On the corn side of things, still ahead of pace, but not quite as much as we are on the soybean thing side of things. With our nation's corn crop about 25% harvested as of Sunday, just slightly above the five-year average of 24%. Now, the other piece of trade-related, or excuse me, market-related news 
I had for today because we did see, especially soybeans, skyrocket today. And there's a couple of uh, bullish factors that have played into that, one of which being that folks in Brazil and Argentina are having some weather issues, dry weather to be more specific. And we're seeing Brazilian soybean seeding pace slow down pretty drastically here as they are dealing with dry weather concerns, planting concerns, etc. And so now we're seeing analysts forecast that we will have some strong exports ahead of that February window in 2021 when Brazil is expected and Argentina are expected to step back in and potentially uh, sell more products on the world market. You know, again, with planting not going so smoothly for them, that's a factor that's yet to be seen. Um, but on the other side of that, we also have this week's WASD report coming out at the end of the week and are expecting to see USDA adjust export demand numbers on that report to some more favorable numbers for U.S. crop producers. So we've got a few bullish fundamentals out there right now. Whether or not they can hold steady through the end of the week into that report is yet to be seen. But that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment, Ashton. So I'm sorry, my mind is totally not with it today. Are you ready to go into the markets? Yep. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, Delaney, are you ready to hop into the markets for today? I am. And as I mentioned, bullish uh, fundamentals all the way across the board today, starting off with the December corn contract up five and a half cents to close at 385 even, while the March up five to close at 394 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, adding big moves today up 22 and a half cents to close sorry, I just adjusted, to close at 10.44, the January up 20 and a half to close at 10.45 and a half. In the wheat pits, the December contract adding eight and a half cents to close at 5.92 and three quarters, the March adding eight to close at 5.98 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits, mixed trade today in the cattle complex as the October added 37 and a half cents to close at 109.20, the December adding 20 to close at 111.95. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract shedding a dollar ninety-two and a half to close at one thirty-eight twelve. The November down two forty to close at one thirty-seven fifty-two and a half. In the lean hog markets, the October contract adding a dollar fifty-seven to close at seventy-six thirty-two. The December up a dollar twenty-two and a half to close at sixty-three eighty-seven and a half. And rounding out our markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures. The October contract shedding 16 cents today to close at 20.47. The November down 15 cents as well to close at 19.56. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday episode. Alrighty, I can bring it out. Just quick. do it generic one, yeah. Yeah. Thanks again to BJ Johnson for coming on and talking to us about clear flame engine technologies. It's definitely not something that I think about a whole lot just because I'm, you know, not on the tractor or anything like that, but it's definitely something that our farmers and producers should definitely keep an eye out for. Absolutely. There's all sorts of fantastic and innovative and exciting technology coming to the agricultural industry. And we're covering all that right here on the podcast. 
Absolutely. And you can check that out on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.